Hey there, welcome to the House Podcast. We hope that today's message challenges you in the best ways. Remember to reach out to us anytime, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Our series is called Shifting Momentum how small steps can transform the soul. And the underlying theme to this series has been that small steps, small decisions, small changes can have a significant impact on our life. And the spiritual principles is really outlined by Jesus in Luke 16, 10, where he says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be entrusted with larger things. This is such a good, like, one-sentence truth that Jesus brings. And, and Jesus even likens the kingdom of God to coming into our heart like a small seed. That when the kingdom of God comes as a small seed, finds soil and finds spiritual soil, that it can flourish and grow and multiply many times over and turn into and flourish into something much beyond, much bigger than that what was first planted. This is really connected to where Galatians 6-7 tells us that we reap what we sow. There's this spiritual principle of reaping what we sow. And receiving an abundant harvest always starts with planting good seeds. A number of years ago, we relocated to Calgary. I was pastoring at a church there. And Angela got a job downtown at an oil and gas company. There was lots of activity in that sector in those days. Uh, Corporate offices were expanding uh, right downtown in one of those office towers. And she began in an entry-level position in the finance department. And she stayed out of office drama. She worked hard. And before long, a supervisor recommended her for an internal promotion. And that played out, and that happened in her career there time and time again. She started at the company sitting at a small cubicle in the middle of a bullpen doing filing and data entry, and within uh, two or three years, she was in a corner office overseeing a staff of her own in a supervisor role. And I used to go down and meet her for lunch, and something happened in our relationship where she became a bigger deal, and she became more important than I was. And I'd, I'd go down t- downtown sometimes in Calgary, and, and I'd have to go in, and I'd say, um, they'd say, who are you here for? And I'd say, uh, Angela Johnson. And they'd you know, look up on the computer or whatever and put a call and say, Mrs. Johnson, your, your lunch appointment is here. Shall I send him up? And I was like, what is happening right now? And... Um, and And on paper, she didn't have the qualifications. She probably wouldn't have got the role, maybe even if she had just applied for it blindly and submitted her resume. But it was her work ethic and her character that opened the doors for her. She came in early and she stayed late. When they were busy, she did whatever was required. She helped the teammates and and others in the office. She went above and beyond just the bare minimum requirements of the job description. And every one of those things and all of that work and all of that character investment and all the things that she contributed to the company, all of those things were small seeds that grew into something much bigger. You see, we rarely experience a season of abundant harvest without first going through a season or two of sowing some hard seeds. 
And this is a spiritual lesson. I don't want to make blanket statements. Don't want to offend anybody here. But I think, you know, at the risk of sounding like my dad, the younger generations, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the younger generations, they, need, they, they can learn some of this. That we don't just get the abundant harvest without first sowing some seeds. And when I see successful people, when I see people that are doing well in their lives and there's a lot of maybe apparent blessing and things that have come together for them, I, I always see people who have sown some hard ground, sown some, some hard seeds. And this principle of sowing and reaping holds true over every area of our life. It's in our relationships. It's in our connections with others. It's in all areas of our life, especially, if not the most highest place, is in our spiritual person. We reap what we sow. And my message today is called Shifting Momentum by Guarding Your Heart. The Christian faith is often described as having Jesus live in our hearts. And I would suggest that our heart is the primary seedbed of our life. Our heart is the essence of our inner person. Our heart is our soul, our spirit. It's what makes us us. It's what makes me me and you you. That's your heart. It's, it's your internal person. It's our thoughts and our emotions, our desires, our motivators, our priorities. God looks at our heart because it's the measure of his lordship in our life. Proverbs 4.23 reads, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This is why Hebrews 12.2 says, We should fix our eyes on Jesus. And Colossians 3.2 says, To uh, put our minds, set our minds on heavenly things. And why Philippians 4, 8 says to focus on good things, godly things, things that are noble and worthy, things that are praiseworthy, things that are trustworthy, pure. Because whatever captures your heart has power over you. Think about that. Whatever holds your heart holds power over your life. And this spiritual truth applies equally to negative things as it does positive things. Just as much as good things of the Spirit will bring about blessing and clarity and direction, so will negative things bring about destruction and pain and sorrow and heartache. In the same way, fixing your heart on godly things leads you towards Jesus. Fixing your heart on sin and the temporal pleasures and treasures of this world will always lead you further away from him. Our lives are inundated with distractions and messages that, that are antithetical to the ethics and the values of the kingdom of God. There are over 500,000 new websites published every day. 
I found in statistical studies, pastors, we love this stuff. I don't even know how you could quantify this one, but in my research, wasn't really that deep research, just a couple of Google searches, I think it's true. Four billion people spend an average of over six hours a day online in our world. And study after study has shown the detrimental effects that digital media has on our mental and emotional health. Psychologists universally agree this is most evident in our younger generations who despite being the most connected, educated, studied, and supported generation are ironically the most confused, isolated, lost, and misunderstood generation. Our lives are peppered with messages telling us the source to our happiness and the promise of everything good is found in temporal pleasures and treasures that greatly overpromise and underdeliver. We believe messages that say we deserve whatever we want. And all attempts at self-regulation, all attempts at following a higher moral compass rooted in God is equated to being archaic or repressive or even abusive. And yet the messages keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Every time we check our email, every time we listen to the radio or binge a season on Netflix or scroll on social media, we, we face a daily, if not hourly, bombardment of messaging that promotes, dare I say, a demonic worldview that is in contrary to the kingdom of God. And it is trying to change the way we think and the way we process and the way we reconcile our faith in Jesus. And every one of those messages comes like a seed trying to put down roots in the seedbed of our heart. I love spending time in my backyard. Not so much this time of year. I don't know why people want to put on warm clothes and go tubing at Big White. I don't understand that. I'm not an outdoor winter sport kind of guy. But in the summer, I love it. My backyard is my favorite place to be. I have the spiritual gift of grilling meat. <laughs> it's, it's in there somewhere. You can find it. Paul wrote about it. Um, I have, and, and don't judge me, because my wife already does this really well. <laughs> I have five different grilling machines, okay, in my backyard. Some of you are thinking like, man, we pay that pastor too much. <laughs> I have a wood fire oven and a wood fire grill. I have a gas grill. I have a charcoal grill, and I have a smoker, because Different kinds of meat need different kinds of love and, and care. And, and that's, that's just the way it is. And I love spending time in my backyard. I remember a couple years ago, I was in the backyard looking after some meat, looking around and thinking, you know what? My, my yard, my grass is starting to lose its game. Uh, it was not doing very well. 
There were sections where it was hard and compacted and the grass was becoming patchy. There's areas where there was more clover and dandelions than there was grass and it just needed some love. And so a couple of years ago, I took on a lawn renewal ambitious project. And I decided it was going to be finishing with some top seeding. I, I did the whole dethatch de thing, you know, getting rid of all the roots and the, all the root bound and breaking up the soil, aerated the soil, put down the fertilizer, spread down like, you know, way too many wheelbarrows full of like, you know, nice fresh topsoil, covered the whole yard and, you know, fertilized and seeded and walked through the yard. And I got the big bag of grass seed from Home Depot and... You know, I was like, I was spreading seed like a champ in my backyard. And I was very thrilled to see that within, you know, after watering and looking after within a couple of weeks, the vibrant, green, vigorously growing shoots of grass coming up all over my yard. It was great. It was amazing. The only problem was my garden had grass growing in it even higher, even more. And it seems that in my vigor and in my enthusiasm to seed my yard, I also overshot and seeded my raised garden plots. And uh, my garden soil in particular must be very good growing conditions for Kentucky bluegrass because it was growing higher and thicker than it was in the yard, in the lawn where it was supposed to be. And it's been... A long time, it's been three years, and that grass keeps coming back. It's so, it's terrible trying to pull grass out of your garden when it's growing up through cucumbers and tomatoes and all kinds of stuff. And it keeps coming back. It must have put down roots, it, the seeds must have laid dormant. They, it just keeps growing green, luscious grass where there's not supposed to be green, luscious grass. And I learned a couple of things through that experience. It would have been much better if those seeds would have never been planted to begin with. And the ongoing need for attention can take away from all of the other enjoyment. If I don't look after it, if I don't pull it out, if I don't try to stay on top of it, it will overrun my garden and it will choke it out from producing the harvest that it's supposed to be. I can plant great healthy tomato seedlings and I can water them and try to look after them and grow them and raise them up and to turn into salsa in the fall and all those kinds of things. But if I don't look after the grass, the grass will overpower and choke it out. And this is not unlike the seeds of sin and the flesh that get planted into our heart. And it's why the author of Proverbs says, above all else, Guard your heart because your heart is the life spring. It is the, the wellspring of your soul. It is the seedbed of your life. So how do I guard my heart? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's instructions echo a military description. And scholars believe that Paul wrote Corinthians while he was ministering in Ephesus. And Ephesus is the second largest kingdom, uh, second largest city in the Roman Empire. Second only to Rome itself. 
And Ephesus serves as the capital, the regional control center for the Roman Empire for all of Asia. It was the hub for trade and commerce and for travel. It was a very important city. And as a Roman outpost city, it was a garrison city. It was well guarded. It was heavily fortified. And the Romans were very particular on who would be allowed into the city. And access into the city would be limited to a few, a select few gates. And the gates would be guarded by sentry soldiers. And sentry soldiers would stand up on the wall to fulfill two main acts of duty. They would carefully scan the horizon for any sign of incoming threat or attack. And they would run the security posts and the security checks at the gates. They would inspect people. They would interview them. They would look at the cargo. They would search them. Maybe not unlike a border crossing or the airport getting into standby in our culture today. They were very purposeful on who got into the city and why. The sentry guard's sole purpose was to defend the city by not letting the enemy get in the gate. Because once the enemy got in the gate, once it was in the city, there were no defenses against an attack. Once they got in the walls, it was too late. And it's very possible that Paul's instructions to guard our heart by taking every thought captive and making it subject to Christ, that those words were written while he was looking at a sentry soldier guarding the gate at the wall. We guard the gate to our heart because it's a lot harder to defend against something once it gets in and puts down roots. In church, we live in a culture that is spraying our lives with destructive, demonic seeds. And the enemy wants to sow seeds in your heart because it's the wellspring of your soul. James 1.15, this is a very direct scripture, says, Desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow... Think about that. In seeds, in the seedbed of our heart, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Sin always starts with a small seed that gets through the gate and grows. Think of the Genesis narrative, the fall, with Adam and Eve. Did God really say, don't eat from that tree? Surely you won't really die. It's not that harmful. It's not a big deal. It doesn't make any sense to eat it. It's, it looks good. It's, how can it be bad? How can, you deserve it. In fact, Genesis 3, 6 says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was, was there with her and he ate it. You see, we guard our heart because sin starts with a thought that turns to a belief that turns to an action. 
it comes in and it grows and it puts down roots. And before we know it, our belief, our convictions, our tolerances, what we allow, what we accommodate, what we make room for, what we begin to excuse and justify changes. As a pastor, I have sat with people who have had their lives crash and burn in an affair. And almost every single time I'm sitting across a coffee table or across a couch or in my office and I hear the same story. And it's a story of telling themselves, telling the person, the inner narrative that it's okay, it's not that big of a deal and somehow twisting things around to the point where it's a good thing, it's a blessing. Because sin starts with a thought that turns to a belief and all of a sudden our convictions and our worldview and our thinking begins to reflect things antithetical to the kingdom of God and it leads to an action. Sin separates us from our connection with Jesus. It hurts us and it hurts others. And so many of the things that get through the gate and corrupt our heart seem harmless at first, but in the end are a small spark that ignite a forest fire of destruction. That statement might sound dramatic. But Isaiah 9.18 says, sin burns like a fire. It burns thistles and thorns. It sets the woods on fire and they go up in smoke. We live in an evil world that is hunting for your soul and it's looking for a way to get through the gate. It seems harmless. It seems like no big deal. It's one lingering thought that turns into one sentence in a search bar that leads to one look, that leads to a second look, that leads to an addiction. Church, we need to be diligent. We need to keep the soldier up on the wall, checking everyone and everything that is knocking on the door of our heart because there is a lineup of evil to knock on the door of our heart. And if you think you can go through life without any kind of filter or any kind of conviction or any kind of decision to consciously say, this is not right, this is not for me, this is not honoring to God, we will open the gate and we will let anything in. I'm going to invite the band to come as we get ready to close our message time together. And I want to I want to say that this message is not intended to be a rebuke or any kind of condemnation. It's an encouragement and a reminder to keep the guard up on the wall. And I'm very aware that every one of us has some unwanted weeds growing in the seedbed of our heart. Try as we might some of sin's seeds and some of the flesh and some of the world, it just, it's gonna get by the gate, it's gonna get in and it's gonna begin to put down roots. And so I'm not condemning or judging anyone. We all, 
identify with this. But we also know this, that Jesus did not come to condemn us, but to bring us freedom. You know, shame and self-loathing and kind of self-hate and those kinds of things, that is actually a tool from the enemy designed to take away your power. The enemy wants to take away your fight by making you feel discouraged and hopeless. When you feel defeated, when you feel like there's no hope, when you feel like you tried and nothing changed and you go through that cycle and you feel bad and you feel ashamed and you feel, do you know that is the enemy is just poking at you? The enemy is trying to bring about destruction. The enemy is trying to bring about tearing down, destroying, putting on chains, not letting you be free. But Jesus wants you to be whole. Jesus came to make you whole. He came to set you free. He came to restore that which the enemy has stolen from you. And every time I read the scriptures and every time I study Jesus, you know what I see? I see a Jesus who is a God that came to save the lost, came to save the world, came to pour out his life for the world. I see a Jesus who is patient and loving and gracious, who every time he encounters somebody, he extends grace to them. And if there's any element of repentance and forgiveness and purity of heart coming to Jesus, he has all kinds of love and grace for them. Jesus came for us to have life and have an abundance, to have us live in freedom. And in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to the communion table to participate together in this sacred practice of remembering and honoring the cross of Jesus. And it's a regular spiritual practice that involves reflecting on the condition of our own heart. It's a good moment. Church, it's a good moment to sit and sit in God's presence and hold the grape juice and the, and the, and the little cracker and to think and to bring your heart before God and to say, Lord, examine my heart. Think about the spiritual weeds that are trying to put down roots. Because part of the communion experience is a reconnection to the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus over your life. It's this, it's this opportunity to reassess and realign your heart. To invite Jesus to come and say, Jesus, forgive me. Pull up these weeds. I don't even know how they got here. Forgive me. Take it out of my life. Give me the strength to honor you. Help me to take the steps to close that access point at the gate. Communion is an invitation to all of those who have received The Lord's forgiveness have made a commitment to follow him. It's open to everybody. But it's in particular, maybe even today, you haven't done that step. Maybe you haven't made that first step, that first declaration. Maybe you've been kind of circling around what it means to believe in Jesus and you just haven't made that 
kind of that declaration in your heart. You can do that today. You can even do that as we take communion together as an invitation, that first invitation to say, Jesus, I, I invite you, I welcome you into my life. I believe in you. And we take communion. It's a cracker and a little bit of some kind of ocean spray juice. I don't know what it is. But it's symbolic. They're emblems of the body and the blood of Jesus. That he willingly, readily gave to save us, to set us free. And so we're going to have a moment where the band will play and lead us in some worship. And that's a moment to kind of create an atmosphere, to reflect and to sit in God's presence. But we have three communion stations here on your left, over here on your right, and also at the back by the cameras there. And will allow and make room for you to come and grab a cracker and a cup and head back to your seat and just to sit as a band worships and ministers over us to reflect reflect on your heart reflect on your own seedbed what's in there what shape is the soil is the guard at the gate and just a moment to center yourself and realign yourself to Jesus. And we'll hold on to it. And we'll all partake together after we've created a little bit of space for this moment. So let me pray, Jesus. Help us in this moment to realign our hearts to you, to reconnect with your love and with your grace to know that we can't do it on our own. We need you. And help us to reassess and refocus, recalibrate. Speak to us with love. Speak to us with encouragement. And we know that if there's condemnation, it's from the enemy. You are bringing love and freedom in this moment. Speak to us in Jesus' name.